0: Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular, everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I'm in the studio all by myself and I'm going to go through a question and answer of a very common situation that I actually run into quite a bit in my practice and I thought it'd be great to share this question with all of you. I think everyone will benefit from it. Before I jump into that, though, I do want to tell you about a free course you can download today called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. If you haven't listened to this course, it's great. It's a video course that will give you some foundational steps and direction for how to rebuild trust, how to heal from broken trust, and just some thoughts as well on how the couple can move forward. So whatever stage of healing you're in, I'm pretty confident that you'll have some uh, some good new information, supportive information in this course You can download it using the link in the show notes, and I'll send it to you right away. Once again, thanks for being here. And today's question comes from a listener who betrayed his wife, sexually betrayed her, and sent in this question trying to understand a dynamic that I think is actually really common with couples that are healing from broken trust. As you all know, healing from broken trust is not a linear process. It's not like you go you know step 1 and then everything's better than step 2 then things are a lot better than step 3 things are so much better it's more curvy than that it's more back and forth it's more bottom falls out pick it back up go forward a lot of twists and turns and even though there might be an upward trend upward movement for simplicity's sake for a lot of couples the the movement in between can be very confusing and very overwhelming and i think it can be helpful to clarify some of those dynamics and some of those movements, especially answering a question like this that we're gonna talk about today. Let me jump right into the question. I'm gonna read it verbatim as it was sent to me. Again, keeping the context that this is a couple where the husband has sexually betrayed his wife and they're in the healing process. And this is what he said to me. He said, last night, my wife and I had a long talk. We've had several good days the last few weeks where I feel like we are connecting and enjoying each other's company. My wife said she also feels those good days, but they're always followed by intense anxiety, guilt, anger, feeling stupid, and experiencing physical illness. I tried my best to empathize and stated how hard it must be to even want to have good days if they're always preceded by such deep pain. She's really struggling with the question of what kind of a person am I if I stay with this person who hurt me so badly for so long? I obviously want to keep growing and connecting with her, but also not wanting to cause her more pain, just feeling a little lost. My heart is telling me to be patient, understanding and attentive and not to avoid good days, but be empathetic to the pain that they can cause. Just wondering if you had any advice or guidance. All right, let's jump into this question. There's a lot here. One thing that I think is is really confusing for couples healing from betrayal, especially for the betrayed partner, is this... You know, there's oftentimes, of course, with the discovery and the crisis, there's a lot of pain at the beginning, a lot of shock, a lot of physical trauma, emotional trauma, just there's so much going on on so many levels in that early early stage there. And then there's some stabilization. Things start to feel like, you know, you can finally breathe a little bit. Again, whether you're going to stay or go, but it really helps you understand That there's forward movement, that you're breathing, you're progressing. Whether you stay or go, you're, you're healing. You're able to start making some movement independent of what's going on with the other person. And that's a relief for anyone who's been betrayed. They know that this is not going to be their final destination. And when couples are healing together, meaning that there is an interest in keeping the relationship together and they're both working individually on trying to stabilize themselves and be healthy, there can start to, you know, you start to see a little bit of hope for a future. You start to feel like, okay, maybe this will look and feel different. Maybe there is some safety down the road. Maybe I can open myself back up. And as that continues forward, a lot of the times there's, you get a a full disclosure or you get, you know, there's just more steps that are happening, especially on the part of the unfaithful partner, the recovering partner who is starting to become a lot more grounded. They're able to tolerate more of your pain. If you're the betrayed partner, you're able to really start feeling like maybe this person can be counted on in that stability, in that, even just those beginning stages of starting to feel like maybe you can start to trust, maybe you can start to count on this other person. That's when things can start to feel really scary. That's when you can start to feel like the stakes are all of a sudden super high. When you start to feel like, oh my goodness, like if I take another step forward, am I just the biggest idiot on the planet? And in that space is where a lot of betrayed partners can start to backslide. And it's not because there's anything necessarily wrong in what's going on in the current, you know, in the present moment. You could have a recovering partner who is doing everything that they're supposed to do, everything they've promised to do. They're, they're keeping their promises. They're consistent. They're showing up. They're doing their best to try and make this and repair or make this better repair it. And you could still have panic attacks. You could still have anxiety and fear. And so a lot of betrayed partners are like, what is going on? Why is that the case? A couple of things are happening here. I mean, there's probably a lot of things happening, but I'm going to simplify it with a couple of things. One of them is that you're always dealing with that dynamic of this person's a source of pain. This person's a source of comfort to me. This person that's hurt me, I want to be close to them, but I also want to be far away from them. That attachment dilemma doesn't disappear. And it especially becomes more pronounced once things start to feel safer because what it does is it starts to move you out of that that more prominent, my partner is a source of pain into this, maybe they're a source of comfort. Maybe they're a source of comfort more often than they have been. Maybe I'll allow myself to be comforted by them. Maybe I'll start to settle in and let my guard down. Maybe I'll start to trust in some of these areas. As that starts to grow, that area of maybe I'll allow them to start comforting me. Maybe I'll allow them to have more of an influence on me. That's where that trauma, that survival self, that can just flare up. If you're familiar with parts work, it can be helpful sometimes to talk about this and breaking it down by parts. Maybe that there's a protector part of you. Maybe that there's a part of you that is you know, really wise and says, look at the history, look at everything. And it can really almost be this warning of closeness can trigger panic. Closeness can trigger a sense of fear that Maybe this is a really bad idea in light of what's happened. It can also trigger a lot of shame. This stage of of starting to let your guard down can trigger this feeling that maybe I'm just a fool for sticking around. Maybe I'm a fool for marrying this person. Maybe I'm a fool for even considering it. I can't believe I've gone this far. What does that mean about me? And you can have a lot of shame of feeling broken or damaged because of what's been done to you. It's really important during this stage to recognize that and of course this question as as i've read it is from the from the perspective or the viewpoint of the person who broke the trust you know the recovering partner who's really trying to recover this and and salvage the relationship and themselves but from the perspective of the betrayed partner it's critical to understand that so much of what they're experiencing so much of what's happening for them is about risk tolerance it's about saying can i take another step forward with you know in this case with my husband can i take another step forward in letting them comfort me, and maybe starting to de-emphasize the source of pain. It doesn't go away entirely, of course, because you can't erase history. But as I start to move into this place of maybe I'm not gonna allow this to control everything in the relationship or in my life, it really opens up but the potential for another fall, what can feel like even like a free fall, something that you may feel like, oh, I've gone up really high on this, this climb and, and how in the world... You know, I really don't want to have to fall back down to the ground. So I think that's why, you know, in answering this man's question, says we have these really connecting times. We feel good. We're having good days. She's feeling a lot better. But then immediately it's followed by the anxiety, guilt, anger, feeling stupid and physical illness. Those are all signals. Those are all, I mean, those are all trauma responses. And those are all very normal and natural. And instead of, you know, responding to those on their face and just saying like, this must be a signal that something's wrong. It's easy to get reactive. It's easy to make decisions in this moment about what it all means and what should I do? What should I not do? And I I recommend in this space that it's really helpful to slow down and start to get support, journal, pray, talk with someone, open up to a a support person in your network. If you're in a 12-step program, talk to your sponsor, talk to other people that are there to support you. Use this as an opportunity to evaluate what just happened retrace your steps. See if you can go back and make sense of when that started to happen. And maybe in this case, it was because the closeness brought up a lot of turbulence. The closeness brought up a lot of fear about the future, about what might happen down the road. You might learn that there's some other thing going on that made this, you know, there, there might be something that was said. There could be some sort of trigger of some kind that signals that Maybe something's not in order. Maybe there's some entitlement or there's a mindset or something that got communicated from your partner, the recovering partner that injured you that needs to be addressed. There's any number of things that could come up. And so when something like that happens, it's critical that, you know, to to give yourself the time and space to make sense of it, to be able to say to your partner, I'm not sure what just happened, but I need I need a little room or a lot of room, whatever it may be to process and sort through this. Now, the person that wrote this to me, of course, is wondering what they can do in this situation. The fact that you're providing empathy, that you're trying to be accountable, that's a great response, first of all. You know, it's very different than meeting those responses through defensiveness and irritation and impatience. So the fact that you're leading with empathy, that you're allowing her to feel what she feels, that you're staying close with her, staying patient, understanding, and attentive, is all critical she needs to know that you're not going anywhere and that you are going to stay connected to her and her pain through this and the other thing is it's important to settle into a certain level of powerlessness that can actually help you have a lot of empathy for your partner who is clearly experiencing tremendous amounts of powerlessness two people sitting in powerlessness is better than one person sitting in powerlessness if your partner is sitting in that powerlessness alone and you, you leave her by getting defensive or trying to explain things to her or trying to reassure her through anxiety or through, you know, comparisons or proving or those kinds of things, you essentially leave her alone in the powerlessness. But if you let her know that she's, her reaction, you know, is totally understandable that you're right there with her, that you're not going to leave her alone, that you're going to allow her, you know, that you're, you're like, take, you know, take the space you need, take the closeness that you need, take more than you need, take whatever you need. That kind of a response is going to signal a lot more strength, a lot more stability, a lot more presence. There's not a lot you can do in that moment to decrease the fear, the panic, the sickness that comes up. These are just the risks that she'll have to continue to take moving closer to you. As you continue to be a safe person, as you continue to try and show up, in the most stable way possible, it will make it easier for her to make that decision to move towards you. Of course, that's her own own process and her own path to self-determine and decide if that's something she can tolerate. Again, one of the worst things that you can do in this moment is to treat her response like that she's now doing something wrong, that she's now hurting you because you're such a good person. This is a really good opportunity to practice compassion, to practice accountability, and to really view that response through the lens of understanding how, you know, how she could have a response like this. I believe that there's a logical reason for all these emotional responses that are happening. You know, sometimes people say, like, I don't know, I was just crazy or I just had a moment. It doesn't make any sense. I've done this long enough to know that in most cases, there's some sort of a logical connection to most emotional outbursts. Now, some of you may challenge me on that and may say, Oh no, man! You don't know my so and so, or my you know my dad, or my mom, or my ex, or whoever. But again, I I do push back and say I, I think that if we stay with someone long enough, some part of it made sense to them, some part of it felt true and real. And so um, again, I I've sat with thousands of people over twenty five years and really tried to understand people's responses. And a lot of it does have you know have roots in some there's some logic to it. So. That's probably a different podcast for a different day. But for today's purposes, I'll just say that there's a lot you can do to try and really understand the logic of those responses. And I think you'll come up with some pretty clear connections between, you know, your behaviors and the choices and other things that happen that really put you guys in this situation. And that can deepen your own accountability, which then can translate into compassion. This is a really important question because these responses can be so confusing, especially for couples that are further along the healing path, where they've had strings of good days and maybe even weeks and months, and then all of a sudden, this comes back up out of what seems like out of nowhere. But again, I do believe it's rooted in logic, that it's rooted in trauma. And the more you can understand that, the more you can be a support to your partner. Hopefully that's helpful not only to this good person who sent it in, who's trying to heal and work through things with his spouse, they're working together, working hard, but I also hope that it's helpful to you listening. And if you're in a position where you're helping someone and you're trying to be a good support to them, sometimes understanding these things can make a world of difference for someone who feels just uh, flat out crazy. I wanna thank all of you for just being a part of this every single week, listening, giving us your feedback, tuning in. It's just great to, to know you're out there listening and doing your work. This is hard work. Whatever level you're at, whatever stage you're at, I want you to know that you're, uh, the work you're doing will, will pay off. I recognize you may not get the outcome you're looking for in terms of maybe a relationship or those kinds of things because it involves other people's choices. But I hope that you know that all the work you're doing will absolutely help you heal no matter what happens. There's a lot of risk involved. And as we talked about today, there's a lot of risk in being open, being vulnerable, trusting, taking a step forward, observing. These are all really difficult things to do. And I just wanna give you a pep talk and let you know that it's worth it. Keep going, keep growing, keep asking hard questions, keep searching and seeking and don't give up. Thanks so much for being here. And again, if you want to download a free course click on the link in the show notes and we'll send it to you right away and that'll help get you started on the path to uh, rebuilding trust and healing from broken trust. Thanks everyone. Have a great week and I will catch you in the next episode.